Hi, you're on Rushcast. What is your favorite live album? Um, I don't know. Favorite one is Snakes and Arrows. Snakes and Arrows Live? I don't know. Did I get it right? Thank you so much for playing. Bye. Hey, welcome to Rushcast. My name is Jay Mantis. Thank you very much for listening to our show. We're really happy to have you here. I hope you're a Rush fan, because that's what we do here. Guys, if you are a Rush fan, it's been a sad week. It's been a very sad week for us. Um, I mean, when you guys all saw it, I saw it. It was not a fun time. It has not been fun since that happened. Uh, this is not what we wanted. This was not what we anticipated happening, but it happened. So, I just think, you know, how do we be less sad about this? I guess if it were any other World Series, it wouldn't matter. But this World Series just stung, and we're all sad. Um, The Indians did the best they could. I hope to God none of you are Cubs fans. And uh, so it's been a sad week. I'd like to bring in fellow Rush fan and fellow Cleveland Indians fan, Ed Stanger, who runs Rush as a band. You've seen the blog. Uh, Ed, how you doing? Great. Uh, Before we get into this, I'd like to have uh, a moment of silence for the Cleveland Indians, and we'll start that right now. A moment of silence. All right, for the 2016 Cleveland Indians. Thank you so much, Ed. Thanks, man. Bye. All right, see you. Hey, so last week we were talking about Snakes Live, and we mentioned how there was a teaser at the end of, what was it? Uh, At the end of Bangkok they played a teaser, and we weren't really sure what it was. Well, uh, Professor Tom Bodoin, who I've talked to before in, uh, in great length, emailed me and pointed out that this was a callback to the the intro they played before Jacob's Ladder on Exit Stage Left. It's the same intro they played there that they played at the end of Bangkok. So that and, and as soon as he said it, I was like, oh of course. How did I not know that? Um anyway. So thank you for pointing that out. So this week we're talking about Time Machine, the Time Machine tour from twenty eleven and to help me discuss a fantastic live album, I have returning to the show Matt Snyder. How you doing, Matt? All right, Jay. How are you? I'm doing good, and I also have uh, my new buddy Jack Reich. How are you, Jack? Doing well, thanks. So this is um, an important album to both of you, Jack. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's it's. Uh, I I think it's a. Um, it's a strong album. Uh, it's interesting because obviously they play the entire uh, Moving Pictures album, so uh, so I like that aspect. And it's also interesting because they foreshadow some new songs that weren't uh, technically out. So so it's kind of an unusual record for them. How about you, Matt? I, I'd say that the that I think that that the that the performance, the overall performance level on, on this one is really really high. I think that's kind of what recommends it to, uh, to 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 me. Um, 
and we'll get into that as, as we talk about the songs. But to me, that's the thing that stands out most, both just listening to it, even just as a CD, and also when, when you look at it, um, the, the, the fact that they're playing at such a high level, at, you know, and they're all like just about, they're almost 60, you know. Um, I think Neil's 59 when they made this. It's just it's kind of amazing. Absolutely. And, and, and uh, I also love, I know you've addressed this in previous uh, episodes, but I love that, that Alex is almost throughout playing uh, Les Paul. Uh, that he, That's right, yeah. Uh, and, and that Getty is strictly back to the jazz bass, which to me is sort of their golden age of, of tone. Um, when, when they played previously those instruments, um, I'm glad that he's away from, you know, the 80s and the signature guitars and all that. But even even right. for, for me personally, I'm glad that he's, with little exception, abandoning the Paul Reed Smith. I, I, I like that he's back to Gibson's. Yeah, there you know, the... the array of guitars he used is still pretty diverse i I know you're uh you're you're saying that there's uh this is pretty much his signature go-to guitar again is that is that les paul i think there's one song with a telly and a couple paul reed smiths in there uh when i remember back when i was a teenager and i would like fiddle around on i had a stratocaster and i would try to play like some of the more simpler some of the simpler rush guitar parts one of my favorites was that high da 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 from leave that thing alone and um the middle mm. part of leave that thing alone goes way up high and it requires 24 frets which stratocasters definitely don't have so it's always interesting right. when they perform that song because he almost always has a paul reed smith to play number one it was recorded on a paul reed smith but it was also it also has enough frets to even play the part um, I wonder if that right. song will ever be performed on anything but a Paul Reed Smith. I don't know. By the way, I met Paul Reed Smith last week. I went to a <laughs> clinic and uh, for one of the guys in Periphery that is endorsed by Paul Reed Smith. And I met that guitarist and I met Paul Reed Smith himself and they did like a big clinic. It was really cool. Beautiful guitars. Um, but uh, I, the, I think the one negative thing I can ev- ever say about Time Machine is that this is where Getty went to orange amplifiers the brand orange and i think it just it sort of diminished his tone just for my personal opinion uh i still like the tone it just it it took a small step back from me here at time machine and onward for the rest of the albums that we have uh but do you guys agree like i'll send it to jack is don't you think this opening video is the most classic and in a way iconic of like the humorous videos that they make sprinkled throughout this live album the beginning one um with alex in the fat suit and we get the uh the rash band at intermission there's some stuff at the end it's it's complete gold yeah i also love that that alex you know uh alludes to ray daniels which is funny yeah Uh, (laughs) i think that that's that's interesting that, that uh, you know, he says Ray Daniels is the name. Uh, it, it, it's funny. I, I do agree that this is a really, really well-produced and, and frankly, you know, well-acted yes. uh, video. Uh, uh, Getty is hilarious with sort of the, you know, the sort of, you know, going back to his roots of, you know, kind of the right. sort of quasi-Polish act and, and uh, yeah. That Alex is sort of playing a 
kind of Serbian parody character, I guess. And, now, and, uh, Matt, my favorite part, uh, tell me if you agree, I, I bet you might yeah. share this, is um, I think it's like a special feature on the DVD. You get the full Tom Sawyer run-through with Getty on drums, Neil on guitar, and Alex with Getty's bass. <laughs> In fact, he's got like an actual replica of Getty's bass, like the one of the ones they sell, which is kind of interesting. Uh, and I love the interaction between Neil and Alex during the guitar solo. Neil's doing his best impression of Alex with all the faces, and at one point, Alex just stops and starts bowing down to Neil. Like it, it's a it's a great <laughs> moment. Yeah, that is like that is like the best mugging that Neil's ever done you know, on 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 camera. You know, I'm yes, sure he mugs right. all the time, but um, but uh, the fact that they had it, you know, knowing that he would be this would be before fans, he must have been really obviously really relaxed to be that way. You know. Uh, the whole thing, it's just nice to see Neil. It's just not nice to see Neil just sort of relaxing and being this, this Irish cop and, you know, the whole thing is really... you got to imagine that yeah, the great director... His, I, I think it... You know what I'm saying? Like, the sorry? director must have done a great job to have someone like Neil who's probably pretty hesitant to be very flamboyant. You know, it's, it's yeah. good directing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I also think that, like, that, like this, 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 this video is, is better than... Than this. I mean, the, the Snakes and Arrows thing was kind of chaotic. You know, it wasn't. I didn't think it always really worked too well. But, 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 but this one's really focused with a certain kind of you know plot thing with the time machine and all that. It, it's really, it's a very funny thing. Now, um, I want to talk about when I went to see this concert and the first Time Machine show that I saw. And. I'll never forget sitting there with my dad and my brother up in the balcony looking down at the stage because uh, my correspondent, Chad, had seen the show already and he told me it's unlike anything you have ever seen. It's unlike anything they've ever done before. And I couldn't figure out like what in what respect. And obviously it turned out to be the stage uh, setup, right, and the kind of aesthetic of the whole show. So we're sitting there, we're looking at the amplifiers on Alex's side, and they're all covered up. They got like tarps over them. But we could still see the feet, and they looked like the legs of furniture. They looked like fancy chairs, tables. <laughs> and we're like, what is, what is under there? It's obviously something way different than amplifiers. Uh, and then they pull them off, and they're all lit up, and... Um, we knew we were in for something different, for sure. And then Getty's side, obviously, that was a monstrosity when it came to things that weren't amplifiers like he has done in the past. Uh, and, and and coupled with that is how incredibly unique and, uh, I, I wrote down, legendary. The, the drum kit is legendary. There's no other drum kit like it. Uh, seeing that thing up close was incredible. The you know the DVD doesn't do it justice. The symbols on the symbols, no pun intended, but all the printing on the symbols, um, and right. the, the kind of the, just how shiny that kit was from a very primitive point of view. Uh, it made the whole experience really incredible. Uh, Jack, did you uh, do either of you? I think Matt is a bassist, if I remembered. No, 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 no. Matt, Matt is a Sorry, clarinetist no. and. Green, I, I, uh, say that again, yeah, Matt. Yeah, play guitar. I play uh, 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 saxophone and clarinet. Sax and clarinet. Uh, I'm confusing you with somebody else. And um, and Jack is a guitarist. 
Right. Uh, the other thing I noticed, for especially for my dad and I, my dad owns the the J- Japanese Getty Lee bass. He can't. He comes out with his bass, and it's got a new neck, and it's got uh, with different inlays on it, and it's got a different pick guard with this weird looking symbol that we couldn't quite make out from so far away. That was also a very interesting and unique experience to be like, what, what does that symbol mean? Why did he change his bass? Is it just for this tour to fit the aesthetic? Uh, and of course, the bass never really even the the bass never went back to the way it was. So I guess it's here to stay. But um, did you guys notice immediately? Like Matt, did you notice the second you saw that bass um, that it was different? Not that. I mean, I, I was actually fairly close to the stage when I for, for this one, and um, what I, I noticed really was the um, was all this steampunk crap. That that was the big thing that I saw because I was sort of on the on the the Getty side, so. I, the whole thing he had behind him was, and it didn't surprise me to see some kind of weird thing behind him because he had given up using bass amps a while ago. So it was always a question of what he would have. But I, I'm here on, on this tour. Alex was still using amps on stage, right? Yeah, for this tour, those were functional. I believe they had speakers. Okay, because, so then, then this was the last tour then that he had actual amps on on, right. on stage because then, because then, then he gave up amps too on stage. Uh huh. Yeah. So that was the first thing I saw was that huge sausage thing, which I thought was hilarious. You know, all the, with the you know, oh, right. that was amazing. And, and, the, and the fact that it worked, that it was spewing out sausages the whole night, was just that was crazy. <laughs> Jack, do you remember? I swear, what? Uh, well, I didn't see I didn't see this tour live. So, oh, I see. Uh, but I did notice that when I when I first got the DVD, that uh, particularly Getty had changed the model of his uh, his base. Like you said, the inlays are sort of uh, white pearl as opposed to the big black rectangles that mm-hmm. he, on his traditional jazz bass. I have two more points before we jump into the songs um, and the, the list. <coughs> uh, two more points just overall, and that's how it felt different that they were back in the U.S. It felt a little bit more, not to say they ever stopped touring in the U.S. I'm sure people outside of the U.S. are screaming right now. <laughs> like, uh, there's, a, there's a kid in New York City whining about them playing in the <laughs> U.S. Uh, but it just felt, you know, the last few live albums were outside of the U.S. And, and something about being in Cleveland felt a little bit like a homecoming. If that makes sense, and I, and now I'm pissing off people in Toronto, <laughs> but um, it, that, well, it was a first album. It was the first live album that they recorded in in the states, right? I mean, that's like that is a big thing. Yeah, know, and it considering felt- the history they have in the U.S., you know, I sort of have to say that 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 I had mixed feelings about this tour at 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 the time. I mean, it's always a great thing when when Rush tours, but you know, I I I, I was okay with our. Th- because it was a 30th anniversary, they didn't have anything new recorded, no new album, even though they had this this EP, which I thought was okay. I thought that thing of covers was fine, but when I heard that they were touring, you know, they had two new songs, and they were talking about, oh, we're not sure if the album's the way to go. And I just thought, look, why don't you just record the album and then tour? I mean, what, what is this? I, I kind of was a bit put out by that that they only had two new songs. It wasn't a big occasion to tour. It wasn't an anniversary or anything like that. I was a bit. Uh, I wasn't very happy, and, and also the whole thing of playing moving pictures in its entirety. This coming from somebody who's seen Rush a lot over the years, I just thought that's not that. Except for the camera eye, of course, that's not really a big deal because the, all these songs 
have been in and out of circulation live for that entire all those 30 years. Like none of these songs have ever really gone permanently from the set. Like maybe Vital Signs took a long break, but but they played you know Tom Sawyer and YYZ at every gig since they emerged. So it wasn't to me that wasn't a huge huge selling point. It was nice to see them all at the same time and nice to hear the camera on it. But I was still a bit peeved that they didn't finish the record before they toured. Yeah, and I then remember having similar feelings. Years. Definitely. I would guess that that has to be, uh, you know, not knowing anything about their their status at the time. That you know, some of these things are probably dictated by uh, just life schedule. You know, obviously with with children and and even time of the year. You know, because Rush traditionally sort of toured and and released albums in set cycles. Um, you know, they would they would sort of release uh, an album in the fall and then do the tour kind of in the winter, et cetera. So I, I don't know if it had anything to do with that. But but they did, you know, like you noted, they did play some newer songs. They just weren't officially kind of released yet. Matt, I had the same kind they of were thinking actually- like, okay, the whole second, most of the second set is just moving pictures. And guess what? None of these, with aside from Camera Eye, were really a big deal for any of us who had been, who had seen the band several times, right? And, uh... Right. I don't know if, well, I guess I should say, similar to Snakes and Arrows, they kind of make up for it for people like the three of us in the first set. They really do. They they treat us really well in the first yeah. set. Um, it's a treat. Yeah, so, yes, yes. Now, my last note overall, looking at the set list, is, hey, no Dreamline. And I believe, <laughs> I can't remember, did they play Dreamline on R40? I don't think uh, they did. Uh, no. I don't. I don't think they did. No. 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 no so R forty and Time Machine are the only tours that Dreamline was not performed on in since Dreamline has existed. I think that's a big deal. I I, I should like yeah. figure some stats out. Figure out the percentages of of every other song in the time it has existed. How many the percentage of tours that it got represented on? Uh, interesting, but. Uh, nevertheless, we have a great set of songs here that we have to talk about. Now, as usual, with these bigger live albums, we don't have time to talk about every single song. Um, so we'll skip the ones that we don't have specific notes on. And um, <laughs> if we have to go backwards, if one of you has a song that you wanted to um, say something about, feel free to jump backwards uh, when you have the opportunity. It's really not a big deal that we go in order strictly. Now, uh, we'll start with Spirit of Radio naturally and um i think i've argued in the last couple of weeks that spirit of radio would be one of my favorite openers in this case i think it definitely is i, I it kind of backs up my theory i think this is one of the best recordings we're going to say this a lot today or at least i am one of the best yeah. recordings ever of yeah. this song and um something about it feels kind of classic I don't know. Yeah, I think that's. I completely agree about it as far as their best opener. Um, I've seen them when I've seen them. Almost always they open with that. But secondly, I think that goes back to what we were talking about that they're reverting back to the classic instruments. Um, you know, I, I think it sounds better on a Les Paul uh, in a jazz bass as opposed to, you know, say a Steinberger or something like that. Um, but also, uh, and also, yeah, but also, tin cans the, sound better than Steinberger's. 
<laughs> but and, and uh, I w- since you always make a big point of uh, that, he does do a wa- uh, the Wawa solo in this one. Yes, uh, on on the, the lead. So he does the Wah, so, and so. and Getty does the bass pedals, which. Again, all these live albums are blending together because I've been consuming them so close to each other every week. Um, one of the recent ones, he didn't play them at all, and it was a huge bummer uh, during the uh, Invisible Airwaves line. There's like no bass pedals. Sometimes there are. This time there were, and they were really nice. Yeah. Matt, is there anything specific you noticed about this one? Um, just the, uh, when I was listening to that, that reggae section, that, that reggae section is evolved a lot over, over time. You know? How so? It's sort of some, like sometimes, uh, Alex, there are certain eras where Alex played like a ska rhythm over it. So it wasn't so much reggae. I was like, you know, that, 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 oh, so he used yeah. to do that. And other times it's, be, and other times it's become more reggae and they sort of played like they used to do, or rather what they do now is they have this sort of barrel house piano uh, thing that happens right at, at right right at sort of the end mm-hmm. which uh, which Getty tri- which Getty triggers they didn't always have that because they didn't have that MIDI going on in the earlier days so there are things that are there now that used to not be there it always sounds slightly different that whole yeah that and whole, it's kind of representative uh, of uh, section of the band kind of using more improvisation in their playing as they get older not to say they're improvising, yeah. but yeah. they are changing these arrangements slightly. Do you ever notice that piano, like glissando thing, happens at a very different part in the song than it does on the recording? Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. And I'm not I sure if I it, like one over the other, but they're, they're definitely different. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's at the right time on the studio recording. It's slightly, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not cool where they put it. You know. Yeah, I wonder if um, it's the other like thing about, about this song that I just. If that's just when Getty can get to the trigger, like it's easier for him there, or if they just want it there musically, I don't know. I, I didn't write that part down. I'm glad you brought that up because I've always wanted to mention that to somebody, and I've I've never talked about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's the to me that's the highlight uh, is where that happens. So it is it is interesting, yeah. and of course I I'm sure you were devastated that Getty Lee had not brought back the chicken dance at that point. <laughs> the chicken dance. Had you seen the? You know, you know did you look- see the meme I put online? Is that what, where you got that? that from? Yeah. Yeah, I have a meme of Getty doing his like chicken dance finger clap thing in the middle of this song, and uh, right, yeah, he does. <laughs> That's where I got that. I'd never heard it called that. But, but I thought, yeah, I thought I, that was I so funny. I greatly appreciate that, that Jack. Attention. That makes my that makes my whole day. Uh, so we move on to time stands still, like right? And now this answers the probably the the second biggest question I have during the pre-concert, which was, what's going on with Alex's amps? What monstrosity is underneath the the blankets over on Getty's side? Uh, but also, why does Alex have a keyboard? Alex had a keyboard yeah. even before the oh, show right. started over on his side. And you know, to be honest, my dad and I thought it was a joke. We're like, okay, we we know the band. We've known the band for like four, five or six years now. We know they're pranksters. We know that they have the hen houses on stage. They have washing machines on stage just to be funny. This has got to be a huge psych out. This has got to be a fake out for us. They're like, let's put the keyboards on Alex's side just to get everybody wondering. Uh, it wasn't until very recently, uh, Jack, and tell me if you've if you've seen this as well, where I saw maybe like a Hold Your Fire-ish era one of the um, older times when they played Time Stand Still where 
Alex also played a keyboard. I didn't right, realize that was right. happening. I just assumed it was always triggered. You know what I mean? Yeah, he did that back in the old days. Um, so I don't. I, it is strange that he's just you know triggering the Amy Man vocal on that. Um, I don't. I'm not sure what the. I guess because he's literally not playing anything there, so it does make sense that he might as well do it. Well, Alex isn't um, the trigger, is he? He's playing the synth part, or at least he is on time. Right, right, he is. Right, no, he is playing it as an actual synth part, but I'm just saying they could have just triggered it. Yes. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know why. I mean, it's cool. It gives him something to do, but it it's not like it's a sophisticated part. You know, it's, right. doo, doo, doo. You know, it's just manually hitting the three notes that... that uh, Amy Mann's doing. I, I think it's because Getty's both playing bass and I think possibly playing pedals also, and that they had this this keyboard thing that they needed, and yeah, it gives them something to do during that 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 um, that moment, you know. Yeah, I right. mean, it's so funny because. These are the things I love about Alex's playing on albums like Hold Your Fire is that he's sometimes he just goes, nope, we don't need guitar here. And he's able to just lay out. Um, at the same time, he's not playing anything. Getty's one, like, it, Getty does not get any busier than the chorus of Time Stand Still. In terms of the that's, pedals, that's true. That's true. he's playing the melody way up the neck on his bass and he's singing. Not, I mean, not to say oh, yeah, that there aren't a, other times where he does that, a, but it's very exemplary. Uh, exemplary right. of what he's that's a word i can't say <laughs> it's a it's a great example of a time when he's a, doing that in full that is a really busy bass part it's great <laughs> i always love the way um, he I, sings the chorus of time stands still alive he sings like the the octave up part which is kind right. of buried the, in the studio recording you know i i, I sort of didn't disagree on that really um, I kind of never, yeah, I kind of wish he played the actual melody, sang the actual melody, which is, I'm not looking back, but I want to look around me now. That that sort of gets lost a lot because he's singing the upper mel- the upper harmony part. I don't even think it's and, there. And it would have been easier to sing. Yeah, it's not there at all. And, and that's the actual melody. Right. Like, that's what you hear as melody on the original studio recording. But that's how they And it's also easier to sing. It's lower. Yeah. He's always trying to save his voice by singing parts lower but on that in that case he sings it higher it's very strange matt yeah. you're lucky i mean you're in the right place because i've said it on rushcast before i'll say it again here this is a a friendly place it's a welcome environment and you're allowed to be wrong you know there's no there's no <laughs> there's no punishment for being wrong so don't feel bad but i'll say something that you'll probably agree with which is that alex's uh tone on guitar is much more much better than it was on the original recording or on any earlier live recording. It's a much thicker sound. You know, he's it's just much. You know that the 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 newer tools sound much better than the older ones. Yeah, as always, absolutely in almost every instance. And 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 Jack, we get our first instance of a a PRS sighting in the on the second track right. already. Yeah, yeah. but um, yeah, I played the Tobacco Sunburst PRS on that one. One of the few. Yeah, you know, I it. thought the same thing. I'm like. All those years we saw him play PRS, they were always jet black or red, and now we get this one. Right. I'm like, I don't, I don't know if this I've ever seen this guitar before. Yeah, it makes sense though because to me that period was a kind of more crisp digital period, so the warmth of a Les Paul would be 
probably not appropriate for Time Stand Still because it's such a glassy tone uh, in the original recording. Mm -hmm. But I absolutely agree that it sounds better with the PRS. <laughs> All right, we are on pace for a five-hour episode, so let's <laughs> let's uh, let's stop on the gas here. It's my fault. I could talk about that song all day. Uh, the, we're we're moving through this chunk in the set list, which is I call the the uh, the vault. I don't know what I call it, but it's the the second, third, and sometimes fourth tracks on a live album are usually reserved for deep cuts. And Time Stands Still, definitely a deep cut. And then one of the biggest deep cuts maybe ever is to get Presto again. Uh, since, the, I mean, last time we heard it was the Presto Tour. I imagine they played it on the Presto Tour. Uh, they did. We get this acoustic simulator, and I'm like, eh, I don't know, Alex. I don't know if he quite yeah. dialed in that acoustic sound. I think on uh, the later, the more recent tours, it sounded better. And I understand he's switching back and forth a lot well, on this track, but I don't like the electric guitar pretending to be an acoustic guitar. I completely agree. What I, what I wrote... What I wrote down was, would it have killed Alex to use a real acoustic? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, there's another big, uh, and I'm always kind of keen to this, and I imagine Matt is a, as well. I don't know Jack as well as I know Matt yet, but um, it's always interesting to me when they change the arrangement of a song, a la Animate or Natural Science, where the arrangements are slightly different than the recordings. Uh, in the studio, same here with Presto. We get this modulation happening before the guitar solo, um, which is the opposite right. way or right. opposite right. way around on Presto. But just kind of interesting, mildly I, I just interesting. They, yeah, I, I, I sort of like that that, that that they feel you know confident enough in in their more mature you know in their like the, with their current arrangement brain they just you know this will sound better if we do this or you know we don't need like in the camera eye this sort of cut stuff out this sort of uh -huh. excess fat from the arrangement or yep. or here where they sort of oh this will sound better if we you know it's something that's it's nice that they have the confidence and you know they don't really care if people are upset about it which is fine you know um i just thought that that that, that this song sort of I, I, I wasn't thrilled when they started playing it because I'm not a big fan of, of that album. But but um, but they, they really convinced me pretty quickly that you know this was a song worth yeah, rescuing. I, I was the same way, similar to how on older albums, like I heard Ghost of a Chance live. I had I was like, oh, I always skip this song. Then fell in love with it. Same with Entre New. Uh, this was the last example in my rush life of a song that I heard live and then loved it because they played it so well. Now, uh, I'll ask this to Jack. Did you notice what Getty does at the end of this recording? Like, when the song's over? Uh, I don't recall what what, uh, what does he do. Getty hits this last note. He shoots note. himself. Yeah, he shoots himself. And, and I've always, uh, since 2011, I'll watch that video and go, oh, he's just Getty doing funny stuff with his hands. He's always, you know, whether he's chicken dancing or, or hitting himself in the head, which he does a lot. Uh, like yeah. in the middle of that driven bass solo, he like hits himself in the head, but he like kind of like flails his fingers in the air and then turns it into a gun and then shoots himself in the head. And I've always thought, oh, it's just him well, being playful. This time I watched it through a different lens for some reason. I saw that happen and went, well, does he not like this song? Was this like Alex and Neil, like we really want to play Presto and Getty's like, I don't want to do that one. And they did it anyway. <laughs> I don't know. I actually saw, aside from the the thinness of the acoustic simulator guitar sound, 
I notice if you go back when it switches to the heavy part in the first verse, it's actually, I believe, a little late. So it's kind of a mistake. It's a little bit uh, sloppy. Oh, you th- so you uh, think going... it's the actual execution of that specific recording, maybe? That that would be my guess because I noticed that it was. If you go back and watch uh, the shift from uh, in the first verse section when it goes from the acoustic part to the heavy part, Alex, I believe, is a little bit late, and it's it's a little bit rough sounding. If you go back, check it out. And, and I, yeah, I like think. that I theory. I'm gonna I'm gonna send out a series of tweets eventually, and with the video and stuff, and see if people can find that. Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll. I'll uh, I'll try to find it, but yeah, it's a little bit, uh, I, you know, that's an unusual thing for such a seasoned musician. Uh, usually the rule is, you know, don't call attention to mistakes, but right. you know, maybe, maybe they're so honest and forthcoming that, that they can't resist. Uh, Matt, was there something, do any of you have anything on stick it out? What are our thoughts um, on stick it out? What I really was, they they like this song, uh, and I I'm not. Uh, as 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 the years have gone on, I just thought this is the weakest song. But one of the, it's one of the weaker songs on Counterparts, and uh, I think it, it kind of doesn't date very well. But they obviously like it because they keep playing it. That's what I saw, you know. Right. And also the whole stupid thing of Alex's backing vocals. Right. Exactly. Totally, yeah. yeah. Lip syncing the the clearly Getty vocals in the choruses yeah. i don't yeah. you know through this whole album it. you see alex singing and you don't hear him in fact one of the biggest moments is the biggest examples is uh free will normally you can hear him during the chorus very clearly and he doesn't sing very well you know what i mean he's not singing so no, well that he's no. blending with getty and their voices are so different to begin with you know when alex it's alex singing and and for most of this mix you can't hear him I think you're right, though. In this example, he probably is lip syncing. Um, I, biggest... I did say for oh, the song. There's no question. Sorry, he is. There was one. Um, I, when I, I can't remember why I wrote this because this, I did this a couple of weeks ago. But I wrote that there's a great rhythm section kick just before the last um, heat of the moment. And I can't remember now what it was about it that I uh, there was something about it that it, that impressed me at, at the time. If I, if I you can, can remember what, what that is. My biggest beef with this is just the music video. And I agree it's not the most technil- technically advanced song they ever wrote, but uh, I can't stand the music video. <laughs> it's it's like, in terms of colors, it's appealing, but it's just stupid otherwise. And go back to our music videos episode where my buddy Nick completely tore that one apart. <laughs> uh, there's nothing yeah, going right. on except a man in a chair, tangled in some ropes. <laughs> Yeah, it almost reminds me of of uh, the time like Alice in Chains videos and stuff like that, like the colors and and the the sort of macabre imagery imagery and, and things like that. It's it's very kind of dark. I, I very much think it's it's appealing to the time uh, when the video was made. Yeah, it's now, a very grunge video. Right. Know? Yeah. Early '90s. Right. Um, yeah. Working them angels. Yeah is I was very happy to hear performed on this tour because I told my dad, I'm looking at Snakes and Arrows, and uh, you guys know me, I'm, I'm very interested. Like, what songs on this tour are they going to bring back from their most recent album? Because that tells me they really like that song. 
And uh, I thought Far Cry and Working the Angels were were right up there. I said I I wouldn't be surprised if we heard those two, and I was I did pretty good with that. Uh, we hear Working the Angels, yeah. but uh, very interesting. Or I I guess not interesting. It's just really cool that Getty kind of goes nuts bass wise on this one, much more than he had on the record or the Snakes tour. There's a lot of like isolated bass licks. Um, there's a quasi solo at the end. Um, Getty's a little bit indulgent on this one. Do you guys notice that, Jack? I, yes, I think that. Go on, go on. Go. No, sorry. Go ahead. I was. Yeah, I, I noticed multiple times in this show that he, uh, uh, as he does a lot live, uh, he, he definitely adds uh, parts to the to the fills and whatnot. Uh huh. How about you, Matt? Yeah, the, I think that the, that the I think the whole album. He's just very, very, uh, just really on the whole album. He's his playing is just stellar. You know, there's tons of examples of that kind of thing in places where you maybe never heard him bug out before he's sick stuff in it and on the tunes where you do expect him to do that he goes even further you know uh, so i think the first thing that cops to mind is, is leave that thing alone which is the next song he, he really uh you know goes nuts with a song which grooves more now than it did on counterparts maybe oh, partially because doubt. i guess neil doesn't you know, it feel kind of sterile and, and and stiff on counterparts now yeah 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 yeah, and also, I think that all that that playing that 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 Getty does, like his playing is is very different now than it was in 1993. You know, oh yeah, he's he's changed too. You know. Now I think, um, I don't think any recording of "Leave That Thing Alone" gets any better than Russian Rio. However, the ending where he has that extended solo, which is much more improvisatory than it had been in the past, is. Well, I, I, won't, I won't suggest that the solo we hear on this recording was completely improvised. It doesn't seem improvised. Uh, there are elements of it. But that specific solo is the solo I would send to anyone that says, Oh, you like Getty Lee? Well, I've never heard him. Impress me. How is he as a bass player? I'm sending them that solo. In fact, there's a YouTube video that's always a suggestion next to my Getty videos. of, And it's like super zoomed in on his on the neck. Uh but it's just that bass solo, and it's it's perfect. It just has an isolated YouTube video like that, just of the solo. Uh, that represents Getty Lee to me. I think that solo was crafted perfectly. Even though the rest of the yeah, song <laughs> isn't as good as Rio. Yeah. Um, man, I you guys know I love yeah, Snakes, song. but uh, to get Faithless which was becoming one of my Dark Horse tunes that was becoming one of my favorites on the album, uh, just on the next tour. for that, And for Getty to say at my show, uh, we played a lot of Snakes and Arrows songs on our last tour, but there was one that's one of our favorites that we left out for some reason, and we wanted to bring it, we wanted to play it. Uh, that, that was really cool to that hear. That was like the first, yeah, that was, that was like the first really big moment of, of the night for me was that they played that tune because it was it's a great tune and um and it deserved yeah, it. yeah the, and uh, the, uh, sorry i said it just deserved it right yeah it did and i i just thought it was nice that they it's almost like bringing out a vault tune even though it was only the last album but it felt like bringing out a tune you know that often happens they'll, they'll find some tune that that they just never either never performed or maybe never performed very much and it, it felt like, like that one thing about that tune that I, I, I noticed more than in earlier 
you know, and hearing it on the record was that 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 uh, the guitar solo is more like a, a guitar bass duet. It's not so much a solo, which is you know, which is a common thing with them. They've they've done that a lot. But I sort of maybe it's partially because I was watching it. I was watching the the video of it. Um, and there's this beautiful shot during the video of, of this mother and, and and daughter listening to it. Um, there's a lot of great audience shots on this video, actually. It was one of the best audience-focused of their videos, I think. Totally. Uh, do you have something on Faithless, Jack? Uh, I, the main, I thought they did a good job um, incorporating the string triggers uh, toward the end of the song. I thought yeah. those, those sounded good. Uh, um, kind of almost Zeppelin-esque in a way, kind of uh, semi-Middle Eastern sound. But it, yeah, I thought it was a really strong performance. Now I went into this kind of great. Oh, go ahead. It, it, I I just said it has a great ending, which is better than on the studio one. A really long, kind of feedbacky thing from Alex that goes on at least you know maybe seven or eight seconds longer than the, than the studio one did. It's just longer. Yeah, and that's yeah. the that's the moment where he takes his guitar and like rubs the strings against the mic stand, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I went into this concert thinking, gosh, I hope there's another album. I hope these two tracks aren't just for this tour. I hope that, you know, there were whispers of another album. Or I guess I should say rumors. It was kind of like a 50-50 whether they were going to complete the album at the time. And um, after Faithless, I think, let me look. Uh, yes, after Faithless, he says, in quotes, I have, this is from our forthcoming album. And uh, whether it was this one or Caravan, he also says, like, something like whenever we get around to finishing it. Uh, but it felt this time like a much more clear cut thing. Like, Oh no, this is from our next album and that feels really good. Now brought up to believe, I think it's a travesty. It wasn't performed on clockwork. Cause I think this is one of the best songs on clockwork in terms of songs that work live. This is a heavy track to see all that steam pumping out of everything on stage was a visual effect we hadn't seen before. And I just think it's a great track to be performed live. Is it one of your favorites, Matt? Yeah, I thought it was a really hot performance. Uh, it, they had just recorded it, so it, it pretty much sounded the same. But it was, you know, it's always great to see them playing stuff like like this live. Um, and I also missed it on, on on the next tour. You know, there were songs like I thought "Wish Them Well" could have been dropped, and they could have done "BUTB" in, 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 instead. But you know, that's that, that, that's their call. But I thought it was a shame that it didn't make it to the next tour. I also yeah. thought that this song is a lot. It, it's a lot easier to understand the song in the context of of Clockwork Angels than all by itself. Because, like, when it first came out, and it was only by itself with um, with with Caravan, there were people commenting that you know this is. Really, Neil's being all down on on you know, his anti-religious whatever, and then when you see it in the context of uh, of, of Clockwork Angel, it's, you see it more as about a certain person and their background. Now, the big moment, one of one of the highlights of this record for me 
is the way Getty sings a cell of awareness in free will. I made that exact note. Oh my gosh. Funny. How did he yeah, get, yeah. He, he's getting older through these last few live albums and he completely nails it. For for the one of the only times I've heard him live, aside from like early 80s stuff, where he totally nails it, man. Absolutely. Yeah, I made the exact same note. How I feel like actually as a general note in this part of the set, uh, it, it's sort of the pinnacle of him vocally because I'm sure it's like athletics that he's Warm he's up. kind of warming up for the yeah first because he also sings the next song Marathon ex- extremely well which is another pretty tricky yeah. song at times um, uh, but I, I yeah I completely agree that Free Will is not only is a bass player but to play and sing is extremely difficult. And for him to, to get that, especially to each of us, a cell of awareness is amazing. I think he was saving himself the whole night for that. <laughs> and like not speaking not, and not speaking the, the previous day and, you know, just sort of taking care of himself just for that moment. You know? Now, we talked about Alex singing in the chorus of Free Will. In this one, he doesn't even go up to the mic. Something weird's going on with Alex vocally <laughs> on this recording, or uh, at this point in time, uh, he doesn't even go. He doesn't even pretend to sing, which he usually. Every time I've seen Free Will, Alex is at the mic. You can choose a. He's singing all of that. Not this time. He's like, nah, I'm not even gonna bother. So I don't know. I don't know if any of us will ever know. Uh, let's move to a top three song for me ever is Marathon. And um, just one tour ago, we were at Snakes and Arrows live for my first concert, uh, my first Rush concert, and we were way back on the lawn, and my dad said, all I want to hear is Mission, and I laughed in his face, and he heard Mission and was elated, and um, just one tour later, I said, I just want to hear Marathon, and I got it, and I, I do consider those two kind of sister songs. Uh, they they say they have similar vibes. I think on two sister albums for me. So um, I was very happy, but I wasn't very surprised. I know it's a deep cut, but I thought, well, they played Mission. Who's to say they won't play Marathon on this one? And um, I know people really like the show of hands recording. This is my recording, baby. I don't see any problems. Excuse me. I don't see any problems totally. with this recording of Marathon. Uh, I'll throw it to Jack. What do you think? Well, I agree. Like I said previously, his you know his bass playing is throughout this night is phenomenal. Uh, but also, this is sort of his peak uh, vocal, um, and uh, so I think this was a great. I, I agree. Also, for the instrument choices, um, it's much better than the Show of Hands version. And, and and also the the song had evolved a little in all that time because it's you know fifteen years on or, or rather twenty five years on from from when they recorded it so so uh, from, definitely I gotta and, imagine, and I, I think the I gotta imagine from Matt this is like a this is one of your favorite songs right um before i before i heard this version <clears throat> i i i liked the song you know i remember it from power windows and i'd seen them do it on the power windows tour but um 
this was the surprise of the entire evening. Like after the song, I turned to my friend who was with me. I said, "That's the best thing we're going to hear tonight." That was amazing. Like they're not going to beat that. You know, um, <laughs> it, it was much faster. It was much faster than the, either the studio version or the one on a show of hands. It just really it crackles. You know that 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 that, bass, bit, that, that riff that Kenny plays at the beginning. It sounds even better faster. You know and um, and that bridge section is just so it was it was nuts it was so um, quicker it just bit you even more with all those crazy changes that 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 they're doing and, and I didn't I didn't again as Jack said I didn't miss that wall base at at, at all it sounds much better I I actually did a quick A B I went back to a show of hands to, compared to this version like my God this one's so much better mm-hmm. you know it really and because of that I ended up liking the song much more than. I had before. I thought this is great. Like if they had played it like this always, then you know. And it's funny because there are some songs that that they do from from the past that that are slower, uh, like Y by Z, and some that they you know make slight changes to certain grooves. But this is the one that I can think of where they do it much faster, and it's just really you know crackles. And the way they opened up the um, the arrangement is nice too. Like during that misty section after that bridge where Alex. Um, has a solo, they sort of open that up for a bit and then set a groove that he plays on top of it. And it, I think it's longer than, than, than the solo. Either the solo is longer or, or, or the section after the solo is longer. Yeah, they, there's like an additional four measures of, of seven uh, after the solo where Alice gets to kind of like allow the solo to decay properly. It, the solo kind of like just is lightly blown away. You know, it drifts away in the wind, so to speak. While and, and then there's like this, yeah. Like I said, four med- measures of like meditation before we get. Uh, you can do a lot in a lifetime, right? And I think it's perfect musically. Yeah. yeah. If I if I if they would re-record Marathon as a studio cut, I would want that in there. <coughs> I've wondered is yeah, that, is that, that there just, just for ease of performance? Is that there because someone couldn't get to a pedal in time? You know? No, they because when I don't think it was that they just opened up. They just o- 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 they opened it up. You know, because on the. Uh, Is everybody okay? Yeah, I, I I couldn't hear for a second. I'm getting like some scratchy sounds. You guys are both there. Yeah. 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 yeah I'm, I'm here. here. I'm cool. Here. Okay. Um. Flawless is the word I use to describe Marathon. Now, um, I want to move on to the second set. What do you guys think? Sure. Yeah, uh, everyone's cool with me skipping subdivisions. I don't want to get any hate mail. Yeah. All right. <laughs> um, here's another thing I'll get hate mail on. Uh, is I don't have much to say about these moving pictures tunes. And I'm sure a lot of you are thinking, yeah, this is Jay. It's representative of how Jay is as a fan. But um, I think they're all excellent recordings of each respective song. I don't think anything special happens in a lot of them. Um, I do have some stuff on Vital Signs. Uh, the big thing for me in set two, and I'm not suggesting we have to skip them. I'm just I'm saying the ball is in your court for you two. Uh, the big thing is they come out in different clothes. Specifically, Alex is wearing a full three-piece suit with a skinny right, tie. Right, yeah, kind right, of a throwback to the skinny tie yeah. wars, right, in the 80s. <laughs> right. Yes. Well, it's also what he wore on. Uh, it's, even though he was wearing a red coat on exit stage left, it's sort of 
<laughs> I would have to imagine that's by design that, right. that, you know, it's sort of the time machine theme. Like I'm going to wear something similar to what I wore on, on, you know, exit stage left. Oh, so. very interesting. I had, I'd never considered that. Yeah. It's uh-huh. a bit more tasteful. Now, um, well, what do you, what do you guys want to talk about bit. here? I'll, I'll go with you wherever you want to go, but I, I, I didn't think there was anything special about most of them. I mean, the camera eye is obviously we have to talk about that. Um, Matt talked about yeah, the yeah. arrangement difference where they cut out some of the fluff in that song, and I remember saying to Dad, um, I mean, we knew they were going to play it because we knew they were going to play moving pictures in its entirety, and. Uh, I said, Dad, you know how they changed some of the arrangements of these longer songs? I guarantee it'll be different. My dad was like, I don't know. I think it's pretty good the way it is. And it was slight. It was a tiny little change. They did not remove a lot. Uh, But they did, and I was right. And I'm always looking for opportunities to brag when I'm right. Overall, a great recording, though, and that synth sound I don't think has aged a bit. It doesn't sound dated to me. It sounds really cool still. I, I sort of had. I, I, it isn't that I didn't like the synth sound, but the, the synth that was a really big question for me before the show was like, are they going to drag out the Oberheim for this? Because, you know, on, on in the earlier in the old era, Getty played all that stuff live on an Oberheim, mm-hmm. and they just sort of took the they they they, they kind of took the easiest way out by just sampling the entire thing. And um, I don't know. I mean, probably because it would be a drag to drag an Oberheim out with them, but um, I was sort of a bit. Dis- disappointed in, in not having actually seen him play that stuff but otherwise it, it was a fine you know that I, I I loved all the New York film that was great um, and um, you know and the only reason I regret not, not seeing them at Madison Square Garden in 2011 was to was to see that song played at Madison Square Garden that was the only reason that I um, you know and now you bring that. up a good point the other thing I just saw, just quickly my dad uh, my dad predicted uh, he's like, I bet you anything they're going to have a really cool video behind uh, that song. And he was right. It was a really um, yeah. inspiring video to see. Another there is kind one of... Thing. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, the only thing that I wanted to add was that, the, that um, one technical thing was that on the original recording, there's an acoustic guitar layered on top of Alex's rhythm guitar during the verses. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that was never there before. But now with modern tech technology he has both an electric sound and there's an acoustic on 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 top of that oh, so yeah he has both sounds going yeah good catch go ahead jack another, another kind of funny thing is how obviously the beginning storyline starts in new york and ends in london and uh at the beginning there's a sample of of the de niro line from taxi driver you talking to me you talking to me <laughs> that getty sort of lip syncs and at the end they use the old uh, Monty Python Holy Grail line, bring out your dead, bring, bring out, out your dead. dead. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of funny. <laughs> subtle. Man, Jack, Jack's pulling out a lot of stuff that went over my head. I, a lot of well, the stuff I never realized <laughs> was happening. Yeah. They um, also played this song with real passion. They, they really enjoy playing the song. You can see it. I mean, yeah, you, you know, remember Alex they said afterward really that they, they really enjoyed it. What were you going to say? I interrupted. No, that, that, that's it. The, the, the only other thing about this album overall that I, I, that I kind of noticed was that, uh, I think Jack said this before, that, that, that Alex is playing the Les Paul almost throughout, I think. 
except yes. for um, for, except for Vital Signs, where he's playing the telly, I think. But yeah. what the interesting thing is that like like Limelight was first played on, on a Stratocaster. It was recorded with, with with a Strat. You see that on Exit Stage Left, and I think there's at least one other tune that I know was not played with a, a Les Paul to begin with. But they all sound it, the whole thing sounds great, so I'm not uh, objecting. I, I just think it's funny that he play like the opposite acts, um, uh, you know, 30 years ago and, and just play it again on a, on a Les Paul now is very interesting. Yeah. And I, well, I think again, it's, uh, they're obviously heavier. They're going to, they're, they're going to make the song heavier. They're a little easier to control the tone of, you know, not a, the single coil pickup. Um, and it's just, it, it's to me a little more contemporary and it, and it also, it's sort of in keeping with the heavier songs like Brought Up to Believe and Caravan and stuff like that, that it may be a little bit of uh, less of a shift. But it is interesting because also even on the photographs of um, of moving pictures inside the album sleeve, you know, there's the, the, the famous time lapse photos and Alex's uh, in his he has a 335. Hmm. Now, uh, and I also say that. No, go ahead. I just said that that Alex Bolo on camera eye, I think, is sort of, it, it's similar to Limelight. It, that's one of his classics, I think. You know, it's sort of, it might be underrated because it's not as talked about, but it, it's at least the, 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 the equal of, of, of that Limelight solo. You mentioned the, the telly on Vital Signs, and this performance of Vital Signs, I think, is incredibly unique in their history as performers, um, but also mostly in the setting of this time machine set list we get a telecaster from alex which is always kind of <coughs> funky compared to the normal stuff he's using uh the bass chorus on the bass solo a bass solo in general is rare and hard to do but he does it on vital signs and it's completely drenched in chorus just like it is on the album and that's kind of cool to hear Getty doesn't use like a lot of exotic effects very often. There's like that phaser in the middle of Caravan, uh, or not this recording of Caravan, but the album recording, the chorus here. And, and you know, on Witch Hunt, the bass solo on the record is, is now a guitar solo when it's performed live, I think for ease of performance. Um, but it was refreshing to hear it yes. wasn't scrapped on Vital Signs, and it has a very cool vibe. Now, the biggest thing about Vital Signs for me is the drumming. Neil seems to enjoy this track so much on this recording, and there seems to be like a refreshed energy to his playing. Uh, maybe some elements of improv- improvising as well. Uh, something about this track and the look on, on Neil's face suggests that he really liked playing this one. Well, he's a bit, you know, obviously it's it's a famous kind of rush story, but, you know, he's a big fan of reggae and he's good friends with Stuart Copeland from the police. And, you know, obviously it, it sort of ultimately led to their parting of the ways with Terry Brown after Signals because he wanted them to sort of stay the course and, and they very much wanted to experiment with different sounds. I think primarily reggae at the time, um, and, and so he's obviously a huge proponent of it. So that may be some of it. That, that's also one of his best drum parts, you know, that, that it, because it really made him play differently. That was one of the big de- developments in their history was that it really made him 
play something very different than what he had done earlier, you know. I talk a lot about songs that are the heart of Rush, and I think Caravan is one of my go-to songs in that case, when we're speaking of that kind of label. Uh, Caravan, here's a a term I want to start using regularly, and that is, um, I wrote it down, vault credits, okay? You get vault credits when you play enough, like, radio hits or classic Rush songs that you need to hear live. So, the band plays Subdivision. Subdivisions, congratulations. You've received two vault credits, right? You are are now allowed to play two vault songs. Actually, it probably goes the other way around, right? Two radio hits equals one vault credit probably is a more realistic ratio. Um, So look at the beginning of any Rush set list. You get um, a radio hit, Spirit of Radio. That gives you... um, in this case, two vault credits. We get time standstill and presto. Uh, some might argue four or three with stick it out. Uh, so this is just how I this is how I envision it, and I wanted to put like a label on it. Um, in this case, with the second half of this set list, look at all the vault credits you get to rack up. You play all of moving pictures, all of which I would, except for the camera eye, I would I would consider uh, songs that would yield vault credits. And those vault credits are all pushed into one basket, which is the performance of a song that doesn't even exist yet. Right? We, they can play it immediately after Moving Pictures because they've racked up so many vault credits by playing Moving Pictures for the last half hour. Or more, probably 40 minutes on Moving Pictures. And here we go. We get a song that's not even on an album yet. That's why I say it doesn't exist yet. Uh, Caravan... Well, it it, it 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 was out. I mean, it was out as a single. You know, and people had it. That's true. I, oh, yeah, yeah. Like I'm not suggesting we didn't know yeah. what it was, but it, it technically it was. It didn't like exist in a. You know, the LP is sort of my my gold standard. You know, I didn't. Right. right. Especially since they re-recorded them, I didn't take those uh, singles very seriously. Even though at the time I took them very seriously, it was all I had. It was all I had for so long, in terms of new material. <laughs> But, um, it's, yeah. you know, the song had so much pyrotechnics, the fire, and it, they weren't like so much explosions, he would say, in a world that only by fire, and then you'd get these flares that were kind of silent, they weren't big booms, it was just like, hey, here's some fire, uh, the steam was a big part of it, <laughs> but to me, uh, Matt, do you agree that this song, now that we've heard Clockwork Angels live, doesn't this song sound so empty without strings? I actually like it better without strings. Really? <laughs> I mean, could, because because on the original, I think on the studio of Clockwork Angels, they were in strings on, on it there, and I thought that that riff, the original, na 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 na, I didn't think it sounded amazing with strings there. There are other parts of the song where where where, where the strings are fine, but I think right when it first comes in, I thought it sounded better in its first form with just you know just just the, just does the band playing. Um, but what impresses me about that song is just that is that middle section, which is it's, it's one of the most insane things. I mean, in a history full of insanely written songs, that that's one of their all-time best. You know, totally. With all the twisting. How about you, Jack? Uh, I I can take it or uh, leave the strings. I mean, I think the strings are phenomenal. It's just uh, either or. They're just different entities. The way I look at it. You know, I, I like the rawness of 
this version, but I, I tend to like things with more quote unquote production. Um, so, so I, I think it, it, I guess if I had to pick one, I'd, I'd probably prefer the strings as well. Um, cause I, I like things sounding fuller, but, uh, I, I think it's a great version. Yeah. And it was, it was clear when we had those two singles, uh, caravan and brought up to believe that they were going to be great live. You know, I think, I think you could argue 75% of every rush, you know, of their entire catalog are songs that are built to be performed live and you know will be good will be great songs live you know the other 25 percent. what do we got um obviously like a taishan or an open secrets not to say that would be bad live but those that, those aren't songs that are just genuinely built to be performed live like limelight or yyz these are songs that you know are going to be great i don't need to explain that to all of you guys listening you guys know that um yeah, hey let's unless, rack up some they... more vault credits with closer to the heart um i i gotta say this i don't enjoy the extension and closer to the heart i thought r40 nailed it you play it you get in you get out with closer to the heart i don't enjoy stretching it another two minutes um with what rush considers improvisation <laughs> which is just right, kind of right. like toying around on their instruments um not to say I've never enjoyed it, but Although, on this specific recording where the the feel kind of changes, I'm like, guys, come on, this doesn't feel right. Just end the song. Am I crazy, Matt? Yeah, they go. Well, they go into six eight, and it's. It, I thought it was like, it's a it's a nice change. It was to me for somebody who's heard the song a billion times. It was kind of nice to hear that. But yeah, if if you're just looking to get a quick shot of closer to the heart then, then you just want to get in and get out i, I kind of understand that you know especially with a huge, um, the end, a huge catalog band you know where there's so much material to address yeah oh yeah yeah matt go ahead i want and I, you want to I, I i did i i sort of I, I wrote down i can't remember why i wrote it but i said the ending is hilarious I mean, maybe because it looks they exchange or something I, I can't remember why i wrote that maybe it was something i saw on the video that, that didn't show up in the audio but um, yeah, there was some. Yeah, I, I think they I, were engaging with Neil at that at the end of this song, and there was like there was. <laughs> I think Neil makes a face or something, and then they do the hits that end the actual song. Yeah. Whatever it was, it was really funny, you know. But yeah, I, I, I sort of agree that, that that it's not a song that should be, have a huge extended ending. Like I remember that they did that on the um, on the Counterparts tour. It was really annoying. <laughs> it went on way too long. I just think I, I think some of that just sorry just stems from, you know, typical uh, kind of rock and roll performance tradition. You know, whether it's you know Bruce Springsteen or Kiss or whoever it is, just kind of the like like Jay perfectly said the the quote unquote you know this is our jam section or whatever you know when it's very worked out obviously. Um, my notes on twenty one twelve is that. Uh, really simply just Getty's new bass. And it's not a new bass. It's this red bass. He's had this red jazz bass for years. He had that beautiful picture of him in the, like this power stance with it in the Snakes and Arrows um, tour book. And you see this beautifully flamed, bright candy apple red top with flamed maple underneath. It's a gorgeous instrument from the custom shop, that Fender. And here he comes out and he just, he put 11 or 12 screws right into that top and put a pick guard on it. And I'm like, what are you doing? At the time, I hated it. Uh, and I'm just a guitar freak, and I love the aesthetics of electric guitars. So 
Um, that hurt me a little bit. However, I've come to love the way it looks now, and I, I do kind of like it with the pick guard on it. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it, I agree. I don't think you should uh, sort of dismantle uh, classic instruments. But, you know, that being said, uh, because of his style, you know, a lot of people would have the same viewpoint of, of all the Les Pauls Alex has with uh, tremolo bars on them, Floyd Rose bars on them. Yeah, so, that's a good point. Kind of, kind of this, except that that's at least has a functional reason for the adjustment. Oh man! Um, so Far Cry is another song that I predicted. Good for me, right? Uh, this one wasn't, <laughs> wasn't that difficult to see. Um, but we've talked in the past about how I think Far Cry has had a spot in every part of the lineup. Let's see, Snakes and Arrows, it opened a set. On this one, it closes a set. And it's in the middle of future uh, future tours in the middle of the set. Um, I love it at the end. It already feels like a classic song. It's only one tour old. Right? Only a few years old, to be honest. Right. And um, it yeah. already feels... You can, you can kind of get a sense of the energy in the room when you're watching the DVD. It feels like people are like, <clears throat> yes, I, I'm very happy to hear this song again. A, a, like you would, like a limelight. Yeah. Not to that degree. But it's it's kind of that same vein. Uh, and I'm happy about that. I'm happy Far Cry has this sentimental value already. And he brings out that big white ES-355 and... Or at least I think that's the number... <laughs> It's a lot of numbers yes, to remember. It, uh, and he plays it for the remainder of the show, which is very cool to see him play it for so long. On uh, Clockwork, he plays it for, I think, half a song? Half of Far Cry, I think he plays it on. Or, I'm sorry, a half of... It's half of Where's My Thing and then into Far Cry, so a song and a half. But I like seeing him play it for, for three big, chunky songs, if you know what I mean. Right. It is. It's like a. It, it, it's a really great closure. I, I think. It's a great set, uh, set set closure. And also, what I was noticing was that, you know, here we are at the end of like you know two hours of playing, and this song they just slammed this song out. It's like I was. These, these guys are such road warriors. You know, they, they're able to keep on this high level of performance, both you know in terms of endurance and technically and musically and it's just amazing during it was during and i kept thinking well it's not even done yet they still have to do love via and working man whatever it's crazy you know the song this is it's an epic tune now they come out and play one of the coolest encores i think you could ever ask for to hear la via it's such a beast of a song um sometimes it's like yeah they're not gonna play something that long as an encore but i guess in their history they have with 2112 or la via uh, <coughs> what a cool intro! This boom, yeah, the polka boom, intro, boom, yeah, boom with the bass pedals. There's a there's a very yeah. popular video on YouTube where Alex's guitar doesn't work, and they do that intro for about five minutes, and Lurks is over at the mic, uh, making jokes and singing along to it, <laughs> uh, and then finally his really? guitar's uh, back together, yeah, yeah. and they start the song, and I think that's classic. <laughs> I, I really miss, you know, I mean, it, it, not not that I don't like that, that, that jokey start, but, you know, on exit stage left in the earlier days when they were doing this song, that song always started with this massive Alex solo, this right. huge piece of 
pyrotechnics. And I don't know why he stopped doing that. It was such a great thing because you never, you rarely ever see Ox doing that that kind of thing. Right. And it was a wonderful thing on Exit Stage Left, and I, I sort of have always missed that. Yeah, it may it may just be you know to save time, and and who knows, you know he, you know he apparently at least in the last year has had arthritis, and and you know that's not something that usually just comes about overnight it's it's a developing syndrome so who know i mean that was like you said when he was doing the shredding intro uh based off the kind of flamenco uh studio right. version uh you know that's that's a workout uh, you know especially like you said two plus hours into the set you know maybe maybe it's easier to just play some mellow polka music to start the set i don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah i like that was well said um I think this is the most iconic, uh, historic, and, uh, you know, synonyms, um, recording of Working Man to date. I think you can you can look at this recording and go, there's Rush. Boom. All three aspects of the song, bass, drums, guitar, are perfect on this recording. Something about this recording has so much energy, and, and how fitting that it'd be a, a Cleveland recording. Because I think a lot of people are on board right. with what I'm saying is this recording of Working Man does not get better than this. Uh, a song that was born in Cleveland to be recorded in Cleveland now and have it be so iconic. It's very nostalgic, this last song on this album. And between Getty's interaction with Alex while he's going crazy and the different elements that Neil is bringing to this song that he has for their whole career, but... It, it just seems to be executed so much more perfectly on this specific recording. You guys agree? Yeah, yeah it's great. I, it's an awesome. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. It, 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 yeah. Sorry. It's um, I just wrote it's an awe inspiring performance. I just, you know, starting with that reggae intro, which, which they've done a long, long time. I mean, that, that I'm, I have a recording of them in 1981 doing that reggae intro, but this is the longest one. Oh, it and never really went that long. A right? lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's never been that long. And it's just a really strong performance. And, and, and Alex sort of, you know, he's gotten so much into sound experimentation over the past, you know, maybe since the late nineties. And he kind of brought that into a solo because he just, is just playing, not even playing notes anymore, just playing complete, like, sort of Sonic Youth-type stuff, you know, uh, noise. And it, it's, it really works on this song. It's just, it's a really powerful, really spirited performance. And again, even more awe-inspiring that it's the last song of the evening after they played, like, God knows how long by this time. And it's just, they're just machines, these guys. They just, huh. nothing phases them. You can't, you just can't tire them out. <laughs> yeah. You know, when I heard the show live and i heard it reggae i'm like oh we're gonna do this again that's cool but it worked for everyone there whether you've heard the reggae intro before or you you've never heard rush live but you know the song you're like oh this is different so cool it's good for that person but for me it's like oh this again but when they got through the first verse and it didn't come out of the reggae i I remember very distinctly the anxiety the anxiety of like oh when I remember it went so long. I remember thinking, is this going to be the whole song? <laughs> like, that was a real consideration that I had. Like, are they just going to play the whole thing like this? <laughs> um, obviously, that's not very realistic, and that was kind of silly. But 
Or maybe I was more, maybe I was thinking, are they just going to go up into the solo like this? Uh, but uh, when it finally, I, I just remember thinking, oh, it's so long that now we don't know when it's going to come out. And they, to be honest, they exited that section at a very surprising time. It was in the middle of a phrase, musically, right? And yeah, that's right. I, yeah, I, that's yeah, what yeah. I wrote down is the anxiety. I wanted to bring up how much anxiety it brought in, or brought up in even us people who are hardcore fans it was like oh man and when it finally kicked out of there it was such a rush of emotion no pun intended it's so it's so cathartic yeah Yeah. and then we get the most iconic recording of the song ever even after all that nonsense in a way i mean i i know it was an effective musical device but it was it was silly and it was it was like all right this is going to be kind of a stupid version of this song and it turned into the best version of this song yeah. Do you guys think yeah, there's a better recording good, of yeah. this one, Jack? Is there a better recording of Working Man? Well, I guess the only question. Remember, would be, you're. This is a safe space. You're allowed to be wrong. <laughs> uh, well, I, um, you know, it, I guess it just depends how you're addressing that. Are you talking about the complete version here? Because. You know, a lot of people like you were nervous about would say, well, they shouldn't have had the reggae part at all. (laughs) Like the all the world's a stage version of of Working Man or, or, you know, the more traditional stick to the album arrangement. But uh, no, it's it's a phenomenal once it kicks in, it's phenomenal. How about you, uh, Matt? This is the best one, I think. I mean, I I have a lot of versions of of this song on various bootlegs and things and this is the this the thing is that you know I kept saying this I've been saying this for you know 15 years or whatever that these guys get better with every passing year and and this was a great example of that that you after a whole you know evening of of old tunes and you would think that this I could have been phoned in and been fine you know but it's not it's it's really it's played with such passion and it's so amazing and and I think even there is a great YouTube. Um, uh, on YouTube, there's a, a shot of the, the last show of this tour, the end of this song, and they and they play it, and then Getty drops the f bomb, saying "Great fucking tour!" Like he even he is, you know, <laughs> sort of acknowledging what a, what what a great powerful moment the end of uh, playing that 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 song is, and maybe also because of that, it could have been that night too, because they, they knew they were filming, they were in Cleveland, they were really on. The audience is a great, it's a great audience. I mean. They're all aware of, of the importance of, ha- of them feeding the band really well that night with, with feedback. And um, so I think that also may be a reason why it's such a great version of And not only that. The end of this tour night. also, you it, bring it's up. It's really great. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Go on, go on. That's it. Um, the end of this tour, you bring up a good point because it, it, it feels like we're accelerating. It feels like the momentum is in our favor here for more rush stuff. You, he gets done, and they're so pumped about how great this tour went. Do you remember how excited they were about it? And if and, and they all the interviews yeah. they said, we feel like we're at our peak. We feel like we're better than ever. We want to keep going. We want to while we're at our peak, we want to pump out more stuff. And that was very rewarding at the end of this tour to go. Oh, like we can relax. Like there's gonna be more. We know this album's gonna come out. They're gonna tour for that album. And then even with Clockwork, they still were having so much fun. It seemed. 
that we felt like, all right, there'll be there'll be something else. In fact, I think at the end of the clockwork, they were, they were already talking about what they thought might have been a, an R41, right? They thought it would be like a 41st anniversary sort of thing. They thought they would even call it that. Um, so, yeah, this was kind of like the start of them going, man, we feel good. Let's keep going. And they did, and I'm happy about it. Right. Yeah, they 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 toured in, they they toured like 2010, 11, 12, and 13. Like they worked really hard for that whole period of time. You yeah. Know. Oh man. Okay, this was a chunky episode. As usually, when Matt's here, we have a really long episode. So good for us. <laughs> Sorry. Guys, no, don't <laughs> apologize, please. This was this was a lot of fun on a great album. Uh, Matt, thank you very much to Nat, Matt Snyder. Uh, thank you to Jack. <clears throat> Uh, Jack Reich, with this was, uh, as expected, a very great, a very good episode. So thank you guys very much. Um, do I are, are either sure. of you on Twitter? Do you want to plug your website or your Twitter handle? I have nothing to plug. Nothing to plug. I have nothing to plug either. Sorry. No. Don't apologize. It's all good. Um, well, it's good to talk to you both, and it was good to have all of you on board Likewise. listening. Uh, we will see you next week for Clockwork Angels Live. See you guys. What's it like in Cleveland these days? What was it like this week? Oh, it was really depressing. It really was. But wasn't that the most Cleveland Indians way to end that series? Oh yeah. Like like they went out of their way to make sure it's they're like what can we do to make the sting a little bit more? Yeah. Up 3-1 and then lose in game 7. Where did That's you watch the game? Were you at home? Um yeah, I was at home. Oh, man, I I just yeah, my, my dad brought up a, a good point yesterday. He's like even if you guys had won, all anyone wants to talk about are the Cubs. So if you had won, all the headlines would say Cubs lose World Series, and we would talk about they would be talking about how what the Cubs need to do next year and how how great their roster is, and they were the best team all year long in the majors, and how the Indian you know they they gave it away to the Indians. It wouldn't be about the Indians. So he's saying maybe next year, uh, oh yeah, it'll definitely. be our deal or our story. I was I was thinking the same thing, um, and you know it's like. Yeah, the Indians weren't even supposed to be there, so yep. you know it's it's that that kind of helps a little bit just thinking of it in that terms. Yeah, I liked it's, being it's, able to go like, outside in New York City with an Indians hat on and have people high five me or see other Indians hats or or some guy in the subway platform asked me what the score was and I looked at him and I thought that's the first time anyone's been like, hey, what's the, what's the score of the Indians game? In my whole life, because I, I don't—I've never lived in Cleveland, so no one cares where I've lived. Yeah. Uh, yeah so that was fun. Um, I want to ask you again, as a Cavs fan, I'm—I'm um, I'm a big LeBron fan, and since I like the Indians so much, I, yeah, I guess I'm a Cavs fan <laughs> when he's there, anyway. <laughs> uh, do you? Is there a similarity? Did the Cavs have anything to do with the Indians' success? Does it bug you that it's always related to the Cavs somehow? Well, I mean, it couldn't have hurt. I mean, I think it kind of gave them maybe a little bit of a boost. 
But um, and what about this stuff with the, the jinxing with made, LeBron at the Halloween party and all of that? The three one nonsense. Oh, that. That's cool. I don't know. I don't, it was kind of cool how LeBron got behind the team. Absolutely. He was so he was amped like up, a, man, <laughs> in that game. Yeah, I know. And he was like, he's like a Yankees fan, I think, but right. he's like become an Indians fan. It's kind of a. But, I don't think um, there's anything wrong with that either, do you? No, not at all. But I think the uh, the fact that the Cavs won the championship kind of made it sting less that the Indians lost. Yeah, at least you at least you don't have that huge drought anymore for the city. Yeah, you can always kind of fall back on that and say, well, at least we at least the Cavs won the championship. And it would have been so epic had both teams won in the same year. It would have felt so I great. I, I said to my friends, I'm like, imagine if the Browns were good this year. Like, imagine if all three Cleveland teams were a real threat. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Maybe, I'm not sure the Browns have ever might, been a threat. <laughs> I'm saying, you know, I was thinking, I was just thinking about this today. I was like, because I'm watching the Browns lose to Dallas horribly. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> you know, in a couple of years, the Browns could be decent. Yeah. The Cavs will still have LeBron, and they'll still, probably still be good in two years. Yep. And the Indians, too. The Indians are the good thing about the Indians is that they're pretty much bringing back all their talent. You know, they might lose a couple guys to free agency, but all their core, like pitching and Francona's um, resigned. Yeah, Francona. Brantley so should I think be they're back. Be good. Yeah, they're going to be good for a couple years. And that'll feel good. I'm excited about that. Hello? Hi, you're on Rushcast. What's your favorite live album? I don't know. I don't know any of them. I'm at work. I can't. I'm sorry, Jared. I'm sorry, Jay. You're on Rushcast. What is your favorite live album? My favorite live album is Rush in Rio. Why? Because because the because the people there's so many people there at the show and they're all screaming for him and they've never been to Brazil before, and that's really beautiful. Thank you so much. You got it. Hello. Hi, you're on Rushcast. What is your favorite live album? The White Album. The White Album. That's right. Is your favorite live album? There you go. Riveting. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Hi, you're on Rushcast. What's your favorite live album? My favorite live album? That would happen to be Rush and Rio. Why? Why? Because it's my favorite. That's a great reason. Huh? That's a great reason. It is. Thank you so much. Because it has a lot of cool tunes, man. Have a good day. Okay, bye. See ya. Hey, this is Chris. Just leave me a message and I'll get right back to you. Yellow. Hey, you're on Rushcast. What is your favorite live album? Snakes and Arrows. <laughs> Snakes and Arrows Live? Yes. Excellent choice. All right, have a good day. Thanks. Hi, you're on Rushcast. What's your favorite live album? My favorite live album? 
I'm going to go with the Snakes and Arrows live, live album. Gosh. Why don't you just say why don't you just say it's because the mo- it's the most recent Rushcast episode and that was the first one you could think of. Well, it's very true. I do like the stage design, just with you know the album cover and the way they, you know, they played around, especially with the Neil's drum set. Okay, well you've had the most legitimate reason yet, so thank you. Alrighty. <laughs>